talking a little bit tonight. I, I, is anybody, it may be just me, does anybody feel like you're kind of on this new journey right now? Let me see your hands. You're just going through some stuff and you're trying to figure that out, you know what I mean? And I don't know if you think like me, like when I watch TV, like if I watch a commercial, I don't know if you've ever watched the Geico commercial where she breaks down out in the country in a flat and then the next moment she's at Geico getting her battery fixed. I'm like, how'd she get to Geico? That's the way I think, kind of, you know? And so um, I'm, I'm const- constantly in the process of asking the Lord, okay, Lord, if you're doing this in me, what are you doing in the house? And so me and Chad were talking the other night we were watching the football game, which I'm not a big football guy, but, but I was hanging out the fellowship. And I, and I was telling him how the Lord was kind of uh, helping me or challenging me to re- revisit some truth that I had. Just revisit some things in my life. Um, the journey that I've been on for years, and Darlene will tell you this, is I get to a place where God always kind of invites me into, and it probably happens to you too, it comes around where you, you feel like you're going through a lot, and all of a sudden, he slaps this invitation in the middle of what you're going through and says, hey, I want to pull you in deeper. And Lord, how come you want me to, you, know, you, you want to pull me in deeper? I don't feel like going deeper right now. I don't even know what I'm going through right now. I don't know what that looks like. Define that for me. And so um, the Lord's kind of been defining that for my life. And um, as a pastor, as a leader, um, you've probably heard me say this over a 20-year period if you've known me, I'm always trying to figure out why we're not experiencing the fullness of what God has for us. I mean, let's be honest. Let's be honest. If this is what the church is supposed to look like right now, we're going to probably fall short of the greatest commission that we thought we would ever experience. I'm, I'm just, and I'm not putting a guilt. It's not, I'm not shaming you. I'm, I'm talking about myself. Lord, okay, so Lord, what has to happen in me? What has to take place in me? I talk to people all the time. And their desire is always for more than what they have. And so some of us are stepping into different truth. We're stepping into different revelations of God. Doesn't mean what we had is wrong. God, you know, when God speaks truth, it's truth. But the thing about truth is God loves to expand it. So you, you can take a truth that you have on grace, and when God touches it or addresses it, what you had that was this big now expands. It's like an atom exploding. It can be on anything. It can be on hope. It can be on peace. It can be, it can be on the flesh. It can be on anything you're going through. And, and I'm learning that there's a lot of stuff that we do um, that actually cause us to reject truth to some degree. And I'll give you an example. I'm going to read some scriptures. I want to talk to you about uh, a couple of things about living from the outside in. Um, I, I, the Lord, you know, I was taught my whole life, you have to kill the flesh. Right? Do you know how hard it is to kill the flesh? You actually have to physically die. And Jesus came in the flesh. And I think what happens to us sometimes is we take Scripture and we presume that God is actually talking to his sons and daughters, but he's not necessarily talking to us. When he says that the flesh warth against the Spirit, Paul's actually talking to people before they had their encounters with Christ. 
And so what he's saying is, the old man, when you gave your heart to Jesus, died. So stop living from that old man place. Stop living according to that flesh. Live according to your newborn flesh that you have. Choose the spirit, and the spirit will help you perfect the new man in a way where you really begin to live to look like Jesus has called you to look like. But my whole life was like, i got to crucify my soul. Well, that stinks because my soul is where my emotions are, my heart, my mercy, my kindness, my joy. It's actually a part of your flesh. And so God is doing something in the body, and, and it's not just us. There, there's lots of churches that God is doing something in, and I really feel that there's a call back to an inner intimacy place with, with the Holy Spirit that is really going to help us define who we really are. Me, me and Noah and, and Darlene and Abby at the house, we sit and we talk, and Brian, when they come over, we sit and talk and staff, we sit around, and, and we constantly talk about you know, what the Holy Spirit's doing is because none of us in the room are perfect. And, and let me just tell you this, um, we, it, defining things. So we define, you know, the Old Testament tells us, seek him and you'll find him. Now, let me tell you the revelation I'm getting. I've already found him. So I'm not seeking him anymore. I'm engaging with the one I found. It's a big difference. And worship, if you really break worship down, worship has more to do with desire than it does the actions of what we portray. And so God's calling us back to this place of different desire. He's calling us back to this place of a different engagement with who we are. We're so busy trying to kill things that have already died. They died when you got saved. He gave you grace. He's given you mercy. He's given you joy. He's given you kind. I mean, he's equipped you. Right? I feel like I'm deer hunting right now and I'm holding a spotlight. <laughs> and it's at night and I'm jacking deer. God forbid. So let me just start with a couple of scriptures because once again, I believe we have a tendency to live from the outside in. We're so focused about what's going on out here that we're never engaging on the inner man. And the inner man, in order for you to really become the sons and daughters of God that you're called to be, something has to happen on the inside. You are saved, thank God. But you're growing, you're maturing. There's something happening. And, and, and God won't force you. He'll just, he'll just kind of softly speak to you. Right? So, so if Darlene was in here, she, Darlene hates getting up early. Like, I mean early, like 5 o'clock, 6 o'clock. Well, I, I'm, I like to get up early. It's, it's quiet time. I don't have grandkids now. I have grand dogs. So if I'm not taking care of my grand dogs, I'm, you know, I'm doing something else. So I enjoy when the Lord wakes me up at 5.30, 6 o'clock and says, hey, let's go in the living room. Let's go. Darling's like, do I have to? Can you not come back at 11? Especially on her days off. Can you not come back at 10.30 and we'll hang out? You know what I'm saying? So, but the cool thing about it is God is challenging both of us with where we're at and who we are. And so what I'm learning is I already have everything I need. It's just a matter of my willingness to engage. Right? So, so what would happen 
if God would have asked us, the Holy Spirit would have invited us to do something radical tonight to have an encounter with him, would you have responded as easily as just standing and having an imaginary alabaster box and going, here, Lord? Right? Encounters and experiences with the Father sometimes require great commitment from us. And it's never embarrassing. See, we've got the, this preconceived idea that what we have to let go of is more value and more costly than what he actually sees the value of that that is. You know, more how costly you think that is. So you're saying, I don't want to let go of this. And he's saying, like, what the heck? Why not? That carries to me. That, that is no comparison to what right now I'm trying to engage and exchange with you. So listen to these verses. This is, this is 2 Corinthians 3 and 18, the Passion Translation. We can all draw close to him with the veil removed from our faces. That's actually a statement only for pastors and elders and prophets and people that are especially gifted. Hmm? Right? And with no veil, we all become like mirrors who brightly reflect the glory of the Lord Jesus. We are being transfigured into his very image. Once again, our problem is we're constantly trying to make Jesus an image, our image, instead of allowing him to make us into his image. That's the problem. We want to hold on to our image. Everybody in here has an image. If we listen to each other talk, we'll our language will define what we think our image is. Right? You ever meet somebody and say, they say to you, what do you do for a living? Are you married? Do you have kids? It's this whole thing for us is about image. So here's what he says. We're being transfigured into his very image and we move from one brighter level of glory to another. So it's not that I don't have what I need. It's just do I respond to the invitation to move from this place to that place. And this glorious transfiguration comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Now listen to Galatians 3 and 26. You have all become, the King James says, you are all the true children of God by faith in who? Jesus Christ. Now listen, 2 Peter, these are just three simple verses, but they're powerful. Everything we could ever need for life and godliness. Let me just stop, because godliness is defined as holiness. It's defined as supreme. It's defined as deity. Actually, he's saying this. You're actually, this word holiness means you're actually a saint. Now, if you're Catholic, saints are a big deal. Saints, saints have one of the greatest representation of the power of the Father that there is. So here he's, he's talking, he's saying, hey, so you're saint. It means holy, it means well done, it means good. That's what, this, that's what he's talking about when he says godliness. You're good. It's okay, well done. You made the right choice. Now let's do the journey together. Then he says, okay, godliness has already been deposited in us by his divine power. For all this was lavished upon us through the rich experience of knowing him who has called us by name. It's personal. 
I, I love corporate stuff, but listen, corporate stuff becomes way more powerful when you have personal stuff first. Let me, let me give you an example. Corporate worship is way more powerful when you have 100 people worshiping in a desire to find him versus five. Right? Let me tell you this. True desire is founded in the private times with God. True hunger. So he's talking about an individual invitation who has called us by name and invited us to come to him through a glorious manifestation of his goodness. So I want to talk a little bit about, I want to talk about David a little bit tonight. But, but you know, we always talk about fruit. And, and one thing, being in the church for 30 years, one thing I've discovered is we do really have a strong tendency to live from the outside in. We, we, we live from our gifts, our abilities, what I'm doing, the ministry I have, how well I do this, how well I do that. And that becomes the focal point of our identity. As a pastor, the focal point of my identity is how big is the church? How much money do we have? What's the, what's, what's the congregation look like? You know, what level of ministries are we? Are we shifting out there, you know? And, and so we just do, 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 do because our image is caught up in that. Right? Now, that's, that stuff's all great. Hey, I'm thankful for prophets. If this was Old Testament and you missed it, we'd kill you. You may not want that ministry now. Right? So we have this grace thing. So now it's like everybody wants to be a prophet. Right? Right? Well, just think about it. Does everybody want to be a disciple? What did the disciples experience in the New Testament? My favorite verse about the disciples is in Revelation. It says they love not their lives to death. You think about a commitment, right? So sometimes we get so comfortable with what we have out here that we neglect what's in here. The very thing that we've been told we have to destroy, the soul. We have a lot of people that are serving well, but are soul damaged. their emotions, their desires, their mercy, their kindness. And we try to live with fruit in our lives from a damaged soul position. David talks about his soul being in conflict. And he asked God, touch my soul, transform my soul. David knew that in order for him to fulfill the purpose God had on his life, there had to be something that happened. David didn't say, kill my soul, remove my soul. And when the Bible talks about kill the flesh, he's not talking about this. It's not like I'm trying to serve Jesus and my arm's over here doing this. And I'm trying to, it's not, it's not flesh. It's the inner man. It's the old nature. It's the guy that you, you buried that for some reason you want to resurrect. I don't know why. We all do it. So we become comfort 
comfortable with the outside giftings and abilities that we have because that kind of somehow defines us and makes us feel healthy and we neglect the inward man. And the reality is we end up living on spoiled fruit. Right? We cover ourselves with leaves from the tree. We're in the garden, but we're just hiding. Right? I, I know all kinds of people, I include myself. There's many times in ministry where, where I was just doing what I was supposed to be doing, but the reality was I was in the garden and I, and I was so focused on the outside that I was scared to death that somehow somebody would see my nakedness. So you can be in the garden and be hiding. You can be in the garden and have a soul problem. And so what God's saying is, if you'll let me work out the inner man, that's the that's terrible thing about when the inner man's not being developed. And we're always being developed. I'm, listen, I'm learning I'm always being developed. I'm stepping into new levels of who I am, but I'm also battling some of the old things that I shouldn't be having in my soul and saying, no, you don't have a right here anymore because you're dead, right? But when we really begin to open our inner man up, listen, we take a totally different approach to warfare. We take a totally different approach to sonship, to daughtership, what it looks like. God's destined you to be free. That's who you are. Whom the sun sets free is, well, how do you all know we're not necessarily living free? If I was to say to you, are you free tonight? You got no issues? Sons of thunder, the twins? You got no issues tonight? You say, I got some issues, pastor. Yeah, I know. I got issues. You know, it's hard sometimes when you're in leadership and everybody comes to you thinking you have no issues so you can help them with their issue and you're realizing when you're listening, I got greater issues than you. You should be counseling me. But it's the willingness in that invitation that God says, listen, you already have what you need. If you would just engage with me, there would be something that would happen on the inside that would change you forever. And so we can live from a place sometimes on the outside where we're trying to earn. We, we, we hate the thought of ever saying we are into works, but let's be real. Let's be really real. Some of us are still functioning on works. If we're not doing works now, we're still living from the works we did a year ago, two years ago, or five years ago when we paid our dues. And so right now, what I feel like the Holy Spirit's doing just, just, just to the church, not just to pastors. I, I hear a lot of prophetic words coming out against pastors and against leaders. I believe that there's an invitation that's coming out to the church in general for a transformation of the inward man to a greater degree because we're already transformed. Listen, you don't want the guy that, that I was before I got saved counseling you because it probably would involve a pistol and a bullet. You know what I'm saying? Those guys are rough. And so... I think we live sometimes from the fruit only and not faith. And the thing about faith is, faith is an intimate 
product of intimate relationship with Jesus. It's developed there first. We think faith is something that we just have, or if I function and I, and I do a lot of stuff that's faith-like, I'll develop faith. Faith comes, trust comes from intimacy. How many of y'all married? And y'all know trust comes from what? Intimacy. You trust your wife, you trust your husband because they said, hey, I'm in for the long haul till death do us part. In sickness and in health, in poverty and rich, it doesn't matter, I'm in for the long haul. And when that walk is engaged in and that intimate connection really takes place, you don't get trusted because you're walking around going, I'm just going to do trustworthy things all the time. I'm just going to talk trust. That's part of it. But it's the intimate connection, the times when nobody sees what's going on. What it looks like when nobody's watching. Those are the places where real trust gets built. The things you say, how you live. So fruit is the outer manifestation of an inner encounter. It's always meant to be that way. If you're doing yourself an injustice to try to live from some level of fruit that is not birthed from an inward experience. You can function on that for a while. How many of y'all go to the grocery store? Do you inspect the fruit when you buy it? I do. I look at the apples. Then I see six other people handling the apples. And I'm like, I don't know if I want to buy apples today. <laughs> I'll go to oranges because I can throw the peeling away. Right? Right? You know, you ever watch some of these old farmers buy a watermelon? It's science. It's like, ting, ting, ting. I'm like, this looks good. Right? And when you get it home, have you noticed lately when you buy stuff, it doesn't last? Remember when you'd buy vegetables 10 years ago? It'd be like three weeks later, let's cook those carrots. Now you buy a you know, cucumber or something, and two days later, you're like, gosh, I wish I'd ate that. It's bad. That's what happens when you just try to live off the fruit. It's so much more different when you plant a garden yourself. You got cucumber vines in your backyard, and you can go out anytime you want. For some reason, we think that we can survive with fruit and live with fruit and be disconnected to some level from the vine. That's the inner man. That's the inner man. That's your soul man. He's that little piece that comes out that you're not really desiring to eat because it's the fruit that's hanging off that piece you're after. But that's the piece that's actually connected and plugged into the vine. That's produced the fruit. That's where the life is. The thing we overlook the most is the very thing that God says, I want. Because we convinced ourselves, if all of this is happening in my life out here, if I'm doing great ministry and I'm, I'm out there earning this and, 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 and just throwing fruit around and, and I'm so gifted in whatever I do spiritually, I'm okay 
And I feel like the Holy Spirit's challenging us to get back to a place of intimacy. You've heard me preach this years ago. I think we can get, like Noah talked a couple of weeks ago, I think we can get become so big on visitation when God is asking us for habitation that we miss what he's really after. You see, the Old Testament is built on visitation. It was built on visitation. God never came and dwelt in man. He visited man, visited man, gave them words, moved them, called them for a season and let them operate under the anointing of God. In the New Testament, we're invited into habitation where Jesus actually comes and resides within us. The Holy Spirit resides within us. And so we live from a place of continual presence. Let me tell you what I love about David. Now think about this. And I don't know if you've ever studied the life of David. It's pretty incredible. His, his life is pretty, pretty incredible. Here's what amazes me about David. Listen to me. David was never born again. You believe me? It's true. David never had what we did. David never experienced habitation, but he did experience visitation. And here's what, here's, what, here's what bothered me when the Lord began to deal with me this week. He said, you know what? It's sad that David, even though he wasn't born again and had, had habitation, he was more driven for a relationship with God than most people today that actually have habitation. Wow. We talk about a renewed mind. Listen, David had a renewed mind before anybody knew the value of what a renewed mind even looked like. Right? Was David perfect? I don't know, committed adultery, killed a woman's husband. I'd say he had some stuff going on in his soul, man. The thing about David was he always recognized his need. Listen, for presence. And sometimes I think myself, um, you know, I've been in ministry 32 years. I've done a lot of study. And sometimes it's easy for me to function out of presence and into just knowledge. Just what I already know. Versus saying, okay, God, I'm not gonna take one step that's what Moses said. You know, that scripture when, when Moses said, God, I'm not going to take one step until you take a step. You know, that was written after their escape from Egypt. After all the signs and wonder. How many of y'all know that Moses could have lived on the fruit from the supernatural ability he had when he was rescuing Israel from Egypt? He had a staff. He parted water. I mean, he spoke stuff into existence, fleas, you know, darkness. I mean, this guy was standing, embracing the power of God. It would have been very easy for him to get in the wilderness and say, I know how to do this now. I know what it looks like. But we see this guy who's defined as the most humblest man on the planet by himself, 
say, I'm not moving unless you move. But was never born again. Had visitation, but not habitation. And we've all got habitation. We carry Jesus within us every day, all the time, always on. And yet somehow we're trying to figure this thing out like, okay, what's going on? I think we're trying to kill the very thing that God's saying, no, I want to touch the very thing you think has to die and bring life to it. So you can live differently. So you can go from your experiences and encounters that I intended you to go from. I said this a couple of weeks ago, when we live for and from the desire of other encounters or other people's encounters or giftings or walk or spiritual life or wealth or position or revelation, when we live from that place, we miss our own identity. We miss our own purpose. We actually offer it up because we never truly discover who we're defined or designed to be. And I think we've all done it. I remember when I started out in ministry, I, you know, I, I was a worship leader, so I always wanted to be like this worship leader and by like this worship leader. And same way with the preacher. You ever notice preachers come up under certain preachers, they preach just like the preachers they come up under? And it took a long time for, my wife actually said to me one day driving in the car, because I, I mean, I used to like to get down. My wife said to me, she's just a subtle thing, you know. She's my sounding board. So I said, how was the message today? And sometimes she'd say it was great. And sometimes she'd go, yeah, I don't want to talk about it. And so I was great with that. And then one day she said to me, she said, you know, it's not how you say something that's powerful. It's what you say. So I realized I don't have to scream and yell and holler at people anymore. Just because my predecessor, my my mentor, if I, if I had one, if that's the way they preached, I begin to discover that it was okay to allow God to touch me on the inner man and me actually be who I'm called to be without impressing anybody, without going after anybody's gifts, without chasing somebody else's purpose, and actually believing that I would be fulfilled if I chase what you have. What a deception, especially if that's not who I'm called to be, right? We're trained that way. Philippians 2 and 5, the Passion Translation says this, and consider the example that Jesus, the anointed one, if I'm gonna pursue anybody, that's who I'm pursuing. The example that Jesus has set before us, let his mindset become your motivation, let me ask you a question. Who did Jesus want to be like? Absolutely. I, I think sometimes, I think with every, you know, and, and this is my own thinking, like I am so, so, so against. I'm going to say this. It may offend you, but hear me out. I am so, so against this thing, idea of a revival showing up. Why? Because I am revival. You are revival. The Bible says we are the glory of the Lord. We ask for stuff. 
because we don't know how to define ourselves because we're so busy focusing on the outside that we're never allowing the inside of us to be developed where we really discover who we are in Christ Jesus. The thing about it is it sounds hard, but it's actually a fun call. It's actually a fun invitation. How many of y'all know there's joy in being real? Right? There's, it's way happier being real than being phony. Right? It's, it's way more fun being real than pretending. Right? Being one way here and another way there. truth. And so we see this transition in David's life where he's being called in. And I'm going to read the scripture in a moment. But I believe this renewal of the mind that Romans 12 and 2 talks about is actually talking about the transformation that David went through. And there's a scripture in Acts 13, 22 that describes David. And it says this, I've searched the land and found David, son of Jesse. And I'm not going to get into the history of David. It's pretty intense. But he, he's a man whose heart, now listen to this. You've heard me talk about this. The word heart in the New Testament is the word cardia in the Aramaic. And here's what it means. Thoughts, minds, and feelings. Now let me tell you this. Everything I just mentioned is, guess what? Your soul. There's a supernatural aspect to your soul and there's a natural aspect to your soul. Let me have, I'm sure how that, that's defined. You know, when I get to heaven, I'm gonna know my family members. I'm gonna love everybody the same. Bible says you'll be known as you were, right? So if you've had loved ones that have gone on to be with Jesus and you know they're with Jesus, when you get to heaven, you're gonna know who they are. You're gonna love Fred, who you've never met before, just as much. Because there's an aspect of, of your soul man here that gets transported. But then there's this aspect of your soul man that is so supernatural that God's saying, don't ever think that this is something that you don't understand. As a man thinketh in his heart, how do you think with your heart? Because you know what? It's flesh. It's a muscle, right? Are you hearing me? So your heart is defined as a part of your very soul. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he, Solomon said. Why are you telling us this, pastor? Because I believe God's calling us to deal with our inward man so we can really successfully keep producing fruit. You know why the word is called the water? The water of the washing of the water of the word? Because one drink of water won't enable you to live. You have to keep drinking it. That's why Jesus is the bread of life. I love bread. I love toast. I'm Canadian. Biscuits are okay, but sourdough toast, I'm all in. Bring a loaf. We'll party. 
Bring yourself a loaf too. <laughs> right? So I'm one of those guys. So, so when, when I go somewheres and there's a chocolate cake on the, on the table, I don't go, that looks good. I go, wonder how much of that I can eat before I get sick. <laughs> right? So, and that's what I feel like what's happening in the spirit is there's this invitation into something that's deeper than we've ever experienced. Something we've, we've been told and taught we have to ignore. Because you know why? We still see it before our born-again experience. We don't, we don't see that we've been regenerated. That the old man's no longer alive. Here's the thing. If you accept the lie that you don't have authority, you live with the old man. I grew up in the funeral business. You would think it would be ridiculous if I walked around with a dead man strapped to my shoulders. You'd say, that guy's crazy. Why is he walking around with a dead man strapped to his back? A lot of Christians do it all the time. The Bible says this, that we are the trees of righteousness planted by the Lord. There's this transfer of something that's happened to us that's positioned us in the soil because we need the constant nutrients. We need what goes in to make that tree healthy. We live from a place you can't see it. You can't figure it out. There's roots. There's a connection there. And God's recalling us to a place of habitation where we're actually abiding in something. We're continually connected to something that starts producing fruit that may not be like LaDonna's fruit, but it's going to be fruit that's genuine to me. And it defines my purpose perfectly. I don't want Brian to teach like me. I don't want Noah to teach like me. I want them to have their own identity. I don't want Crystal to prophesy like me. I don't want a church where everybody's the same. How miserable is that? I don't want to hang around with a bunch of people like me because some days I don't like me. It's true. There's something about us being a toe and a finger and an eye and an ear and a mouth and a nose. That's unique. But if we never address the inner man, the soul factor. I did a whole series called The Soul Factor one time. And it was negative. Had to go back and think. Had to rethink that. It wasn't all negative, but it was negative. Gotta kill the soul. If you kill your soul, you're actually physically dead. So let's I'm gonna read you a scripture from David. So David's pretty powerful. He says, As a man thinketh in his heart, his thoughts, his mind's his feeling, okay? His heart beats to my heart. So listen to this. If you look at the word cardia, and the scripture in Acts 13, 22 says, I found David, a man whose heart, cardia, thoughts, mind, and feeling beats to mine. So watch. Beats to my. 
a man who will do what I tell him. So here's the question. If you're not doing what God's telling you, it may be an inside job. And you don't realize it. Maybe a heart condition. So this scripture, if you took this scripture and you break it out in the Greek and the Aramaic, here's what God's saying. I actually found a guy in the Old Testament who was never born again, and he actually felt my thoughts, my feelings, and my emotions. What the heck? And I've got him residing in me, and you've got him residing in you. And we struggle to feel his thoughts, his heart, and emotions. We walk around as orphans. You know what an orphan spirit is, right? An orphan spirit is somebody who is selfish motivated. An orphan spirit is not necessarily just somebody who doesn't have a spiritual father or a father. An orphan spirit is somebody who takes the responsibility for their own life in a selfish way. And listen to this. It is actually a spirit. And Jesus said, you're no longer orphans. But yet, isn't it funny how so many people are dealing with stuff, we're trying to figure out why, and I really feel like the Lord has been saying to me, listen, if you'll address and engage and open up your inner man and your soul and you'll let me touch you. Those areas we don't want anybody to touch. It's really funny. Sometimes we get, you know, before we came here, me and my wife would get called to meet with a couple for counseling. And she would come in and he would come in. She knew exactly why she was there. He had no idea what he was doing there. And so you have this thing where she's like, we've got some issues. And he's like, I don't have a clue what you're talking about. I didn't even know we were doing this today. Right? He's in total denial of what's going on because she's, she's in touch with her emotions and her feelings because she's made totally different than a man. She's like, I'm just, he, he, he hardly says hi to me. He, he, he hugs all the blankets at night. And, and he, he, you know, he, there's just so much. And he's like, what the heck? I don't know. She's hot one minute, cold the next minute. I don't know what's going on. They got this, this confusion going on about, listen, their covenant and they can't figure what's happening. And they're looking for some truth to help them get into this place of covenant connection where there's such harmony that they're actually living out what covenant is meant to look like. And I think for most of us, myself included, sometimes because we've neglected our soul, we don't discover the harmony that we're invited into to what a healthy, real covenant relationship with Jesus looks like. Solomon said this in Proverbs 3 and 6, in everything you do, put God first. 
I'm learning this. What goes on here inside me, in my soul man, my emotions, my thinking, my process, everything I'm doing, what goes on in here is basically based on this value chart that I have. And I'll say this, I've said it before, but I'll say it again. If I really want to see what you value, your spouse, your husband, your finances, your position, if I really want to see your true value, I'll look at you five years down the road with the relationships that were supposed to be highly valued and your life will tell me where your value was. See, your values are what you define your boundaries around. You need to know that. Boundaries are okay. But your value, so listen, I don't counsel women alone, ever. Not because I'm scared, just because I value that boundary and I protect the, the, the pureness of my own marriage. I don't even have to do anything. Somebody can say I did something and it can, it can affect. So, so I have these, these values. I, I, I won't let my staff men value, uh, uh, you know, counsel women alone. It's just one of the boundaries we have with our staff. We don't let our staff women have best friend guys they hang out with. I went to a, a movie Friday night with Jack. Me and him are really best friends. Fred watched the kids. That doesn't work for us here. We have better values than that. We have better boundaries than that. We're not scared. You don't have boundaries. You endangered yourself. What are your godly boundaries? What, what are your boundaries when it comes to soaking, to, to journaling, to, to time spent with the Holy Spirit, to just rest, to Sabbath? What are your boundaries? What do those boundaries look like for you? Because David is somebody who lived with boundaries. And he had certain key revelations in his life that made him different than anybody else. See, righteousness and sonship are what produce the manifestation of Christ-likeness. And they are both discovered in intimate relationship. There is no sonship, true sonship, without an engagement with a father and a mother. Just the way it is. And so let me read this famous psalm. I just love it. I'm going to go down to it here. It's, it's really amazing. And it's in Psalm, I think it's Psalm 121. It's one to eight. It says, this is David talking. I will lift up my eyes to the mountains where will my help will come from. My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your feet go out from under you. He who watches over you will not sleep. Listen, he who watches over Israel will not close his eyes or sleep. The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your safe cover at your right hand. The sun will not hurt you during the day and the moon will not hurt you during the night. Listen to this statement. The Lord will keep you from all that is sinful. He will watch over your soul. He'll watch over your what? 
right? The Lord will watch over your coming and your going. Now and forever, you realize that your whole life is built on coming and going. Let me read this verse to you. This is Psalm 37, 23, and 24. The Lord directs the steps of the godly. He delights in every detail of their lives. Though they stumble, they will never fall, for the Lord holds him by the hand. So listen to this. David was an intense journaler. We know that David wrote at least 73 Psalms. If it shocks you, David never wrote all the Psalms. So it's recorded that David wrote at least that they know of as a fact that David wrote 37, uh, 73 Psalms and every Psalm had a different subject but led back to the same thing. Thanksgiving, worship, praise, and desire for God. Every Psalm. Why? David had a heart after God. Had a heart after God. And David's having a beautiful moment here in, in this psalm. You know me, I'm big into numbers. So three times in David's life in the psalms, he mentions a secret place. He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High God shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. That's one of them. That's David. Psalm 18, 11, Psalm 81 and 7, Psalm 91 and 1. Three is the number of maturity, fullness, and completeness. David was the complete package. He had this revelation about two things, and I'm not going to share them tonight. Next week, I'm going to share them. Two things. Number one, that God was able to keep him. Number two was that God delighted in him. I'm going to tell you something. There is nothing that affects your soul like the awareness that God is able to keep you. Fear will rob you of the keep revelation of your father. The next thing is, if you don't understand that God delights in you, you'll be robbed of joy and peace. That delight word is powerful. It's, it's, it's almost offensive. David built his whole life on these two principles. And it made him live in a place where he actually said, your praise will continually be in my... Let me ask you this. Can we say that? David talked, breathed, breathed, spoke about the Father. Now, let me just say this. Yeah, that's because David was just spiritual. David was married a lot to a lot of women, had a lot of kids, had a full-time job as a king, was a warrior. It's not like David didn't have a life. And David says, and in my life, his praise is continually be in my mouth. There wasn't anything that David went through. There wasn't any moment in David's life, even when he was running for his life, that he did not have the revelation that God would not only keep him, but he delighted in him. When you discover that God delights you, then you get the revelation that he'll keep you. And when he begins to keep you, you'll get the revelation that he delights in you. 
And that affects your soul in a way that it makes you so radical that you'll go out against Goliath without a fear because you know in the inner man that you have, the soul, that God really is who he says he is. You ever hear the saying, talk is cheap? Right? You know what I find about, and I'm going to close with this, you know what I find about great moves of God? They always challenge you in different areas. I find, I find we pray for stuff, we want stuff, but our actions don't define that we really want stuff. Right? So, um, you know, I, I, when we were in Calhoun, a revival broke out. Man, I got so challenged in different places to pray for people. And, and I don't know if I shared this story. Probably some of you remember this story. I'll never forget, I was in the revival. I was preaching on Wednesday night, and I was preaching about authority, having power and authority. And, and I was all excited. I mean, we were just seeing people be healed during worship, blind eyes open. Uh, people with deaf ears would, would jump up in during worship service and start to scream because uh, they could hear and then get filled instantly with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's the craziest thing. People in their 80s. So I was all excited. I was going to preach this message, right? And I'm thinking, Lord, people are going to love this message. It's about power and authority. So I went to Walmart to buy. I wanted to do this example. I went to Walmart, and I'm standing in this line in Walmart. And in front of me, I'm running through the message through my head. In front of me is this woman, and a businesswoman, dressed really sharp, really looks, really successful. And behind me was this, this, this short black lady. She was standing behind me, and, and I'm standing in line. And this little black lady behind me in the line begins to speak in tongues. So I'm in line. I'm, between, I'm sandwiched between these two people. And I'm like, okay, Lord, what's going on? I'm freaking out now. I'm preaching tonight, and I turn around as if to say, what are you doing? When I turn around, this businesswoman in the line, I mean, all the lines are packed in Walmart, and she's yelling in my face, Satan is greater. I mean, she's screaming. Every line is stopped, and they're looking at me. And my very first thought was, you need to shop at Kmart. That's the truth. That's my very first thought was, you need to get in another line and you need to get in the line quick. You need to get out of this store. But listen to this. Something happened. All the scriptures that I, I had memorized for that message began to come out of me. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. No weapon formed against me shall prosper. She got so be- buffled and messed up and, and, and weirded out that she never even took her groceries. She ran out of the store. A little black woman behind me, she was just having a hallelujah time. She was just praying in tongues and shouting. She didn't care she was in Walmart. I said to her after, I, wanna, I want you to be my shopping partner from now on. Me and you are going to hang out. We're going to be friends. Why do you tell us that story? Because sometimes... When we want what we think we want, it requires for us to be vulnerable. To be willing to say, I'm okay with that. 
So let me, let me share this with you. Last Sunday, I, I had this incredible message in tongues and interpretation. I was sitting on the front row, and I didn't give it. It was bad to the bone. And I convinced myself it was just for me. The Lord said, mm, no. I got home, I said to my wife, I feel so terrible. Service was awesome, God's so kind, but the Lord gave me this word and I didn't deliver it. So I told the Lord, when I come in tonight, Lord, I'll give that word tonight. The Lord went, nah. And the Lord said, here's what he said to me. I'm still working on your soul, man. Are you going to take the fig leaves off? Are you willing to become naked before me so I can deal with what's in going on in here for what I want to bring to be love company? We've had all these prophecies about something great. Right? You know, prophecies, in order for prophecies to be fulfilled, they require our engagement. You understand that, right? Proper, prophecies are not self-sufficient in and of themselves. They require partnership. Jesus said this about the Holy Spirit. I will guide you into all truth and show you what's coming. Let, let me define it to you this way. The Aramaic kind of says it different. Aramaic says this. I'm going to show you the truth that will lead you into the future, and I'll show you what that looks like. We want more truth, even though we may not be doing anything with the truth we presently have. We want prophetic utterances to come to pass in our life without engaging with the Holy Spirit, saying, what is my part in the journey. So what am I doing? I'm, I'm just preparing you right now that, and, and it's not a scary thing. Listen, let me tell you this. There is nothing as fun as when God shows up and there's an incredible move that breaks out and God sets the building on fire and you don't even see it, but everybody else does. But it requires such a response with our alabaster box Can you imagine how uncomfortable that woman must have felt in a room of Jewish men when she had no right to be there whatsoever? And she brought what was costly into that room and she broke it. She said, I'm willing to be judged. I'm willing to be condemned. I'm willing to be looked at as I shouldn't be here. She, you you got to know there was some stuff going on in her. She was so moved. So, so living from the boundaries, living from the borders, I, I really feel like the Holy Spirit says living from the borders is not going to be acceptable anymore. There's so many stories. I love the story of the woman that touched the hem of Jesus' garment. And I love that the fact that it was blue and it represents the word of God. But actually the word hem in the Greek and Aramaic means the fringe. If you read later on, it says multitudes gathered 
just to touch the hem of his garment. I think we can get to a place as seasoned believers where we just live on the outside, the fringe of what God's doing. When I believe he's calling us to a different place, he's calling us to reach for the heart. He, he doesn't want us down at his foot level. He wants us eye level and heart level because he's moving us into a place where he's saying, are you willing to let go of what you have to let go? And let me just say this. I'm not preaching at you. This is a message I'm hearing for me. This is a message my wife is hearing for her. This is a message Noah's hearing in his life. What are you willing to let go of? You're not losing anything. You're just simply taking everything that you think is valuable and you're laying it into the hands of God and he's saying, thank you, watch what I'll do now. I'm not earning it. It's called covenant. When I got saved, I was 23 years old. I was a coke addict. I had overdosed. And um, I'll never forget, it was in November. I cried the whole Christmas. My mother was so angry. She said, you're so depressing to be around. I said, you're misunderstanding. These are tears of joy. I've, for the very first time, I know why he came. It was more than just a song or a gift or celebration. I really know why he came. For the very first time in my life at 23, I realized he came for me. And it changed my, I had never experienced that encounter. All my life growing up in the church, going to the altar constantly, never ever experienced that. But in that moment of my life, and I really feel like God's calling us into that moment where we begin to discover him and see him like we've never seen before. And it's gonna begin in here. Listen, I don't doubt there's stuff gonna, I love powerful worship services, but worship is about desire. My worship is an expression, not just who he is, but a desire for more of who he is. I don't want status quo encounter. I want the deep encounter that motivates me. You know, at some point in revival, we had to ask the congregation, who's in? Who's coming back tomorrow night? Well, it's Monday, yep. Then Monday, it was like, who's coming back Tuesday? Who's in for Wednesday? And people just kept coming back. That's how it began. And there was never the thought of this is a temporary thing. It became temporary. You know why? We started living from the fruit. When we were in the garden. We were hiding. We lost our ability to be naked before the presence of God. I want you to stand. I never really got into what I wanted to get into, but it's okay. Let me read these two scriptures for you before you leave. And I want you, to, I want you to write them down. I want you to look at them this week. Everybody look at the pastor. This is your homework. Say, this is my homework. 
So if I run into you this week and I say, have you read these verses? You say, no, I'm going to cast a demon out of you. I'm just joking. Two sermons, it's two scriptures. This is Psalms 37, 23, 24 I read earlier. The Lord directs the, st- the steps of the godly. Listen to this. He delights in every detail of their lives. This is a New Living Translation. Let me ask you a question. Do you understand that the Lord delights in every detail of your life? Think about it. What about when things aren't going good? What about when you don't feel it? Though they stumble, they will never fall, for the Lord holds them up by the hand. This is Psalms 12 and 7. The Lord will keep you from all that is sinful. He will watch over your souls. The Lord said this to me the other day. He said, son, when you learn to delight yourself in the Lord, then others will be truly delighted. Let me say it again. When you learn to delight yourself in the Lord, then others will be truly delighted. I said, why is that? He said, because then you really represent who I am. Right? David was a warrior king. Right? That's who we are. We're warrior kings and priests, the Bible says. He was a worshiper. David's foundation for who he was. Listen. The most intimidating factor of your life against the enemy is your love relationship with Jesus. It's not your anointing. Let me say it again. The most intimidating factor of warfare when you face the enemy is not how great the anointing is on your life. It's the depth of your love intimate relationship with Jesus. Right? Paul we know, Jesus we know, he personified. These guys personified. I'm I'm gonna read you some scripture next week about Paul. It's the weirdest thing because before the scripture, Paul says, I know the things I should do, but I don't do. The things I wish I do, you know, he gives this little quote. And then he goes on to say this, my heart is totally controlled by the Holy Spirit. Like it just, I'm like, Paul, what are you talking about? Paul starts defining who he was, comparing with who he is. It's really beautiful. I'll unpack it for you. Put your hand over your heart right now. I want to pray over you. So, Father, I thank you for everyone that's here tonight. Father, and I just pray that as we leave, Father, we'll understand and, and we'll process this week as we get into this. And I know, Father, I've just talked from the heart tonight, but as we get into this next week, as I begin to tell Uh, and we begin to look at the power of what it means to have the revelation of you keeping us and you delighting in us. These are two factors, and I'm going to read lots of Scripture that were keys to David's life. They were the foundation. Before he even had habitation, he had this thing going on with you that was so intimate that it just, it stole his heart. His heart was captivated by you. Let us live in the place where, Father, we become so captivated by you that we don't come in and have to be prepared. We come in 
pre-prepared, already looking from the moment we walk in the doors, looking for your presence, desiring your presence, hungering who you are. I pray that you do a work on everybody in this house tonight, in our inner hearts. I pray divine experience over their lives this week. In their prayer times, in, when they're driving in the car, let them engage with you in such a way that, Father, they'll have to pull over because your love and your power and what you're touching on the inside of them will be so real and so intense that they'll feel that pull into a place of intimacy that will change them forever. 